Welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast from Core to Add Independent Medical Education. In this episode, you will hear from internationally renowned experts, Dr. Elena Castro and Dr. Neil Shore, how they implement PARP inhibitor monotherapy in clinical practice for their prostate cancer patients. They discuss whether all PARP inhibitors are the same or different, when to initiate a PARP inhibitor, as well as the relevance of genetic testing and various gene alterations on treatment decisions. This podcast is an initiative of core to add and developed by GU Connect, which is a group of international experts working in the field of GU oncology. The podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the experts and they do not necessarily represent the views of the experts, organizations or the rest of the GU Connect group. For experts' disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the core to add website. Now, with that being said, let's get started. Uh, hi, everyone, and welcome to our first broadcast in our series covering PARP inhibitors for prostate cancer. Today, we're going to discuss the clinical implementation of PARP inhibitors as monotherapy for prostate cancer patients. I'm Neil Shore. I'm the Chief Medical Officer for Urology and Surgical Oncology with Genesis Care in the U.S. and the Director of Carolina Urologic Research Center. I'm really happy and delighted to be joined today by my good friend and colleague, Dr. Elena Castro, and uh, I'll let Elena introduce herself. Thank you. Hi, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, I'm Elena Castro. I'm a medical oncologist at uh, Hospital Universitario 12 de Octubre in Madrid, Spain. I treat mostly patients with advanced prostate cancer, and my research is focused in, in prostate cancer and cancer genetics. Fantastic. Well, why are we talking about PARP inhibitors? Well, clearly with patients with prostate cancer, we've had great progress over the last uh, decade and a half wasn't until 2004 that we had our first mechanism of action in taxanes. And now if you fast forward from 2004 to 2023, we now actually have seven distinct novel mechanisms of action to offer patients with prostate cancer. And what we're going to talk about today is as PARP inhibitors. And PARP inhibitor in terms of a monotherapy for our patients with resistant disease have now been available for nearly three years. We have two approved treatments that really were approved almost within 48 hours of each other by FDA, and that is Olaparib, which was based on data from the global phase three trial known as Profound, as well as Rucaparib from a very significant phase two study known as the Triton II. And that received an accelerated approval in the U.S. The profound trial led to both FDA and EMA, a level one evidence approval for patients with resistant disease. There are some nuanced differences regarding the product information indications in Europe and in U.S. So, for example, a lab rib in U.S. is approved for patients with MCRPC 
and homologous recombinant repair mutations who have progressed on either enzalutamide or abiraterone acetate. Classically, what we refer to as androgen receptor targeted agents or androgen receptor blockers or novel hormonal agents. In the EU, Olaparib is indicated for monotherapy for patients who uh, only have the BRCA mutation, so B2, B1, who've also progressed on a novel hormonal agent or an ARTA, as we sometimes call it. In the U.S., there are 14 um, gene alterations within the family of HRR that have FDA approval. So there's a, a distinctive difference. Now, Rucaparib is uh, U.S. only approved based upon the Triton 2. We're going to talk about the Triton 3 today in a second and, and have Elena address that. It has a, an accelerated approval based upon the Triton 2 phase 2 study. And it's approved for BRCA-mutated patients only, so B2, B1, who've progressed on an AR-directed therapy and a taxane. So that makes it also, it's, it's inclusion for approval a little bit more involved than the Olaparib indication. So we have now seen a lot of excitement, the, the Triton 3 data that was presented at the Prostate Cancer Foundation this fall. 2022. This is the confirmatory phase three trial for rucaparib. And so I think that was really exciting. I think we're going to hear some additional data coming forward at GUASCO as well. So maybe let me stop here, Elena, and, and ask you to comment on Triton 3 and how that may further inform our colleagues, but also anything you want to comment as well on the, on the profound trial and the Olaparib approval. As you said, there is a difference in the approval of Olaparib by FDA and by the EMA, basically based on perhaps lack of enough evidence to treat patients with alterations other than BRCA1 and BRCA2 because these alterations are less frequent. So the number of patients that were included in profound was smaller than for BRCA. And it is unclear at this time whether these patients may also benefit from treatment with therapy inhibitors. This is why I think it's so relevant. Triton 3 and other trials that will help us understand the real predictive value of other alterations, not only BRCA1 and BRCA2. And Triton 3 is a phase 3 randomized trial that included only patients with alterations in BRCA1, BRCA2, and ATM. These were MCRPC patients who had already progressed to treatment with an hormonal agent, aviraterone or enzalutamide. And these patients were randomized to receive either rucaparib or the physician's choice that could include docetaxel or the hormonal agent that they have not received previously. So either aviraterone or enzalutamide. So this is the first time that a PARP inhibitor has been compared with docetaxel. And I think it is very relevant because what we see is 50% reduction in radiographic progression-free survival for patients with BRCA alterations with rucaparib compared to the physician's choice. And for patients with ATM alterations, the benefit is only 5%. 
So I think this is very important because in profound, although to be eligible, patients have to have progressed only to a hormonal agent, most of them, about 65% of them, have also received ataxane before entering the trial. So the Triton 3 trial tells us that perhaps for patients with BRCA alterations, it will be better to treat with Rucaparib rather than waiting until they progress to treatment with ataxane. So early treatment for these patients may really improve their outcomes. Of course, we still don't have overall survival data, but the difference in RPFS is really significant for these patients. What I don't know is whether this benefit that we observe with Rucaparib could also be extrapolated to other PARP inhibitors. I don't know. Neil, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's a great question and it gets asked so often. And, and one of the challenges is the low prevalence of some of the 14 HRR mutations that we see listed by the product information in the U.S. for the approval of Olaparib. I think that of those 14, originally 15 in the profound trial, but 14 were accepted. We have had, at least I have had anecdotally, and I think many of our colleagues, some very good responses with PALB2, uh, the RAD51 uh, subsets. Certainly ATM, as was noted in the Triton 3 here, and even to some degree also in uh, Profound, the CDK12, Check 2. Some of the alterations, they're not high in prevalence, but we don't always see great responses. You know, that said, and I'm a big proponent of using taxanes, docetaxel and capazitaxel, but uh, overall, there's always something uh, more appealing, I think, for many clinicians and, and certainly for patients when they can have an oral option as opposed to going to a parenteral option. And again, I think taxanes, by and large, have become better managed. I think that even though we do see grade three, four toxicities, they can be very well managed and, and clearly effective therapies. So that is a little bit of a conundrum right now, I think, in, in terms of the product information acceptability in Europe versus the U.S., I'm curious what you think about that, Elena, for the patients who are, for example, the rad 51s the PAL-B2s, uh, but then also uh, there's clinical trials that we're working on for ATM selectivity. There's some IO or pembrolizumab data supporting the use of it in CDK12. I wonder how you think about that. Well, with regards to the predictive value of um, some of the uh, HRR alterations, I think for ATM, we have now enough evidence uh, suggesting that a PARP inhibitor in monotherapy perhaps is not the best uh, option for these patients. As a group, it is true, as you mentioned, that some individuals seem to benefit from this and we need to understand better which is the type of ATM alteration that is associated with a benefit from ABRP inhibitors. But it doesn't seem to be an ATM mutations as uh, it could be the case for BRCA2, for, for instance. For PILB2, is, these are unfrequent alterations, rare alterations, and we are slowly getting data 
from different series and trials. And it seems that these patients may benefit significantly from PARP inhibitors. For other less frequent alterations, still we have to wait. But as you say, there are some of these alterations that seem really to predict a benefit from, from PARP inhibitors. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, the ATM, of all those 14 gene alterations after BRCA2 and CDK12, it, it actually has a high prevalence and I think it's a big unmet need. One of the things I'm curious about, Elena, and maybe you can kind of weigh in on this, is patient comes to you and their BRCA alteration, whether it's one or two, maybe there's a difference in your mind thought. Accessibility is not an issue. They're MCRPC. And now they either didn't tolerate or they progressed after Abby or Enza. And assuming you have rucaparib at your disposal, it's approved, and you have olaparib, and you could use a docetaxel, how do you frame that for patients? How do you have that discussion with them in the clinic? Well, for patients with BRCA alterations, particularly for BRCA2, I will say that we have the possibility of using a therapy that seems to work particularly well in patients with this type of alterations. Well, of course, we still need to wait until we have the approval for patients who have received chemotherapy but for Rukepari. But um, I will say that it seems that with the data of the Triton 3 study, Patients with this type of alterations may get better outcomes when treated with a PARP inhibitor as soon as possible. It is an oral medication, of course, but we still need to monitor the blood counts carefully because it still has some toxicities that we may be able to prevent or to manage. And we are aware that eventually, the tumor may become resistant to this treatment and we still may have to use chemotherapy in a later stage. For a BRCA patient, I would like to try a PARP inhibitor as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I think what we're going to see fairly soon based upon the Triton 3 data, prior Triton 2, but of course the, the excellent data from Profound, if you have the luxury or the sometimes called an embarrassment of riches, you have the opportunity to choose amongst two approved, who knows, maybe uh, with time we'll have even three and four different PARP inhibitors approved based upon some additional studies. Many of our colleagues are probably wondering, are all PARP inhibitors the same? In particularly, do you think we'll start to delineate differences in subtle differences or even more significant differences in toxicity? Clearly, the myelosuppression, you have to check a CBC um, monthly for patients on a PARP inhibitor. Will there be differences in terms of that myelosuppression, variances between RBC, WBC, platelet counts. And then maybe, uh, Elena, you can also comment on that first part question and also on any GI side effects. Yes, the most frequent side effects are anemia and with some of them, thrombocytopenia has been more frequently observed with thalassoparib than with other agents. And gastrointestinal toxicity, mostly nausea, up to uh, about 15-20% of patients can uh, refer grade 2, up to grade 1, grade 2 nausea. 
there is not a big difference between PARP inhibitors in terms of toxicities. On all the trials, these have been quite consistent with the different agents. We don't have any trial with a direct comparison of the different agents. So we don't know whether there is a different efficacy when we use these agents in immunotherapy. What we know from preclinical trials and early trials is that it is true that the potency of the agents is different and um, it may be important whether due to toxicities or other issues, we may have to reduce the dose to improve tolerability with the PARP inhibitor. So um, yes, there may be some differences between agents. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And, and maybe just in, in closing, and I know it's a big topic to cover, and you've done an amazing amount of work on this, is just the whole notion still around testing. When should our uro-oncology colleagues, our medical oncology colleagues be testing our patients with prostate cancer? Maybe sort of just some top-line views regarding the use of germline and somatic testing. A somatic, of course, it has the nuances of tissue versus, you know, liquid-based testing. Yes. The alterations in BRCA1 and BRCA2 seems to be early events that are already present in the primary tumor. So we could detect it from diagnosis, but from a practical point of view, just to test in, in those patients that uh, will be eligible for a PARP inhibitor, also taking into consideration that the test may take some time, that we may have to repeat the test or acquire a new uh, tumor sample. I will say that a good idea will be to start considering testing when the patient is uh, progressing to the previous uh, hormonal agent. For instance, when the PSA starts to go up, that will allow us to liaise with all the struggles of testing. For the purpose of a PARP inhibitor, I will um, test the tumor or uh, I will proceed with circulating DNA analysis, a plasma analysis. And uh, because in, in prostate cancer, HRR alterations are more prevalent in the tumor than they are in the germline. If we do identify an HRR alteration in the tumor, then we should proceed with germline testing to exclude that that alteration is indeed germline. With this procedure, we may only miss about 7% of the germline alterations. There are some germline alterations that we may not be able to detect in the tumor. So my advice is that if you have a patient that for whatever reason you suspect that could be a germline carrier because of the family history, because of the presentation of the disease, and you do not identify anything in the tumor, it doesn't matter, prefer the patients for uh, germline testing. The reason why we do germline testing is to identify families who might be at risk of not only prostate cancer, but also other types and um, other cancer types. So um, yes, it is important to, to take into consideration both aspects, the possibility of a targeted therapy and also the possibility of early detection of cancer or even prevention. 
Well, that was great. That was really well said and super, super important for all of our colleagues who treat patients with advanced prostate cancer to understand that the absolute key indication to get both germline testing when it's appropriate, almost virtually universal now for patients with advanced prostate cancer, even localized prostate cancer with significant family histories, and then the uh, somatic-based or the tumor-based testing, as you say, there's tissue, there's liquid-based ways to optimize. And why it's so important, because now we have novel mechanism of action in the form of a PARP inhibitor to complement taxanes, to complement our androgen receptor-targeted agents, uh, to complement radiopharmaceuticals and, and other immunotherapies. So very, very important. I think you summarize that as expertly as you always do. So with that, Elena, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to, to work with you on this podcast. Thank you, Neil. See you in our next podcast. We hope you found this podcast informative and enjoyable. If you liked this episode, you should look on the Core to Add channel for more. In particular, Look out for another podcast with experts Dr. Castro and Dr. Shore, where they discuss how combination therapy of PARP inhibitors and novel hormonal agents could be implemented into their clinical practice for prostate cancer patients. Make sure to listen to that one too. Also, don't forget to rate this episode on the core to add website and share our podcast on social media or with your colleagues. Thank you again for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Core2Ed Independent Medical Education. Please visit core2ed.com for more information.